presented a Harry and Bretton production. Producer Bretton Campbell, featuring Harry and Mr. Cornell and Bretton Campbell. This is Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Credit Chasers. I'm Harry. I'm Brenton. A little bit of a delay there, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're Uh, slowly approaching it. We're slowly approaching it. This is our our third episode of Credit Chasers. This is the movie podcast that that runs our credit, where we're allowed to watch any movie as long as we find it through a connected credit from the previous movie we watched. This is specifically season one of Credit Chasers, where our lodestar, our center center point on what should become an increasingly complicated web of connections and films is John Carter the 2012 mm-hmm. movie everyone remembers and loves. Yeah. And um, let's talk about the journey we've been on, Breton. We started with John Carter three episodes ago. From yeah, there, like we had a guest. Ago. Well, yeah. not not for the listeners, but yes. Sure, but for ago. us. Eons uh, ago. Ages ago. We should start putting these out one of these days. Um, nah, they're going to stay buried forever. We're just going to talk to ourselves forever. That sounds about right. And, and then we had a guest. We had Esther Rosenfeld on, who looked at the credits for John Carter and went, oh, I know, special thanks. Found Peter Gabriel's name in there. We jumped to Mm -hmm. Last Temptation of Christ off of that, a classic one-two punch. And continuing sort of with that rhythm, we took, we, at the end of that episode, viewers might be, or viewers, listeners might be confused. We ended that episode talking about Scorsese, how few Scorsese movies you'd seen. We, We softballed watching After Hours, and indeed, we ended the call and we said, let's just do after hours. Let's just bang that out. And then we didn't do that. We didn't bang anything out. We just sort of didn't podcast for a while. <laughs> yeah, and a then, long time. Till it got to spooky season. And then it got to spooky season. And we were like, well, we have to do a spooky season movie. This might not go up during spooky season. No, we probably We got to do a spooky season movie. And so I took a look at the credits to Maximum Overdrive. And Breton, I, 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 I was all talking a big game about how prepped I am. I had to go look at my screenshots to remember the connection. I found a little credit. Wait, what? That can't be right. Ah, yes. I found a little sound credit. A man named Skip Leavesay. Everyone's favorite. Everyone's favorite filmmaker who worked on Last Temptation of Christ. And he also worked on some other movies you might have heard of. A Dog's Purpose. Elizabeth Taylor. Of course. Get Shorty. Yeah. Mm. Shadow. Cool World. Polyester. And a little horror movie called Maximum Overdrive. That's right. We're watching Stephen King's one and done, his only directorial effort, let's yes. call it. And uh, Let's call it that. It was an effort. It certainly was. It uh, This is a movie, for those who don't know, about technology turning on us, except that mainly manifests in uh, big rigs, big rig trucks getting mad yeah. at people. That's 90% of this movie. <laughs> it gets very specific. It's very, it's very focused on just that one part, uh, which is, I think one of the things to this movie's detriment but we'll talk yeah. about that yeah um i guess we should start by by just you know the the classic broad softball opener i think i've said softball twice this episode already which is just unconscionable and i should be kicked off the podcast Damn. um what did you think of maximum overdrive 
thought it was terrible. We've we've made a nice uh, good movie sandwich so far out of our three mm-hmm. three three movies. We had the first one that the first bad movie bread mm-hmm. piece of bad movie bread and John Carter terrible movie. Mm-hmm. We had Last Temptation good movie. Yeah, we my we, favorite we... of the three Scorsese's I've seen. We really um, bought some like imported from Spain like fucking iberico hand and we then we bought the fucking worst old yeah, steel wonder, wonder bread, bread. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that shit yeah, with a little bit of mold on it that sort of oh, woody yeah. taste like we sort of uh, scraped the mold off but <laughs> have you ever tasted bread where it's like not there's no visible mold but it's gotten moldy like that sort of mm. wo- wooden kind of taste it tastes like that a little bit i freeze uh, all my bread because gluten-free bread is hell <laughs> I mean, yeah. So it doesn't, yeah, I've had doesn't, some. doesn't happen to me much. Yeah, fair. Um, but but anyway, yeah, basically like that for for anyone in the audience who gets my meaning. So 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 that's what we did. We did this, which is also yeah, pretty terrible. Worse than John Carter? I don't know. Probably. I, I think mean, I'd there's... watch this over John Carter any day. Anyway. I know you were you were like pretty you were like the first like third of this movie you were like hot on it a little bit yeah and, yeah, uh, yeah which I couldn't understand I mean there's like w- uh, there's one scene I like which I guess we'll talk to there's talk some, about the the first chunk I thought oh this could be fun like I didn't think it was gonna be great but I thought like this might be a fun time it seems to have a a slightly goofy deliberately goofy tone in that first bit it has um. A, f- a couple of fun kills. Uh, it's sort of a eclectic mm-hmm. collection of fun kills. Um, and then, like, the plot of the movie gears up, and then it slows way down. Um, I didn't have, you know, if 15 to 20 minutes of a 90-minute movie are fun and the rest are stomachable, you know, it could be worse. John Carter is longer. It's way more boring. But actually, let's save that. Let's save that. It has funny for aliens, later. though. Okay, yeah, we'll save um, it for later. Because I, 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 yes, let's just save that for later. But yeah, okay. Maximum Overdrive, my personal arc was basically what you alluded to. I was like 15 to 20 minutes at the beginning. I was like, oh, this might have some heat. This is kind of fun. There's a pretty fun car pile up with like watermelons going everywhere and and um, and stuff at, at the very beginning where the sort of electric bridge doesn't behave properly i thought like that was kind of fun it looked kind of good it had a nice i wouldn't say the geography was super clear but it had kind of a rhythm to it it was kind of fun i liked the image of the watermelons splishing all through the accident um and then you know we get a little bit more set dressing as characters rolling or whatever and then sort of peppered throughout that we get i would say i guess it's just two i feel like i fooled myself into thinking it was three Maybe there's one I'm forgetting, but we got a couple of, uh, a couple of, three if you just broaden it, a couple of good kills slash electronics attacking scenes. We get the pretty goofy, but in like kind of a fun way, but with the the turkey saw attacking her in the kitchen. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we get yeah, 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 yeah. Now I do. Probably my personal favorite, the vending machine just fucking nailing that guy in the head with a pretty good, like, gore prosthetic, like, this sort of bloody skull print in the shape of the can on his head I thought was pretty good. And then there's that, there's that kid who gets run over by a, by a cement roller, which which apparently had to be cut down because they wanted, like, blood to leak out when it happened of the, like, dummy they were using, and instead it popped like a balloon. (laughs) 
and they had yeah, to cut so... that down because it looked too gnarly. Yeah, too like bad. a headshot in a video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those the, those segments do have the I think the funniest m- m- needle drop in this movie, or maybe any movie, which is like <laughs> ACDC, who did all the the entire score for this movie. They they sort of emulate like a psycho kind of violin stab mm-hmm. with guitars mm-hmm. and drums. It's 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 very bizarre. It, it made me burst out laughing every time I heard it. So those are kind of those are kind of fun. Like, the only problem is I was just sort of bracing myself right at the start for what I sort of dreaded it would become what it actually became later on what you, you know like as soon as I saw that sort of opening long shot of, of Stephen King walking to the to the ATM that's like 20 seconds long like a, a, a fucking boring toneless version of a shot in an Antonioni movie with no sound with no music him just walking for 20 seconds I was like ah shit he's gonna have he, he's just not gonna know how to sort of modulate the pacing of this movie and build suspense like it's just gonna be the the, the problem with a lot of these low budget movies that should be dumb fun is that they're just kind of boring because the directors don't know how to make things this isn't exciting. especially low budget but it suffers from that because, or, or yeah yeah um, it's not the same you know, director, right, yeah. lack of director knowledge, especially. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that I remember laughing even as you itched during that scene because we watched this one together. Um, because I, I, it wasn't that long. I was like, I'm fine. I, 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 I don't. I, I didn't think it was egregious, slack. but I was just like, ah, oh, that's kind of weird. And I movie. and I figured it was um, a sign. And I actually think that um, pacing is a problem in this movie. But and I'm sorry to do this to to Stephen. To Stephen King, my very good friend Stephen King, but I think a lot of this movie's problems are on the page, like a lot of them. Nothing yeah. happens for sure, like half yeah. of this movie's runtime. Like just yeah. nothing happens. He sets up, um, you know, the plot of this movie roughly. Maybe we'll try to sort of summarize. A, a, a comet passes Earth. Machines wake up. Not all machines. Mm-hmm. Every every protagonist's car is chill, for example. Not explained. But no. <laughs> mainly, like we said, it's trucks. And mainly what this movie ends up being is we meet a cast of characters, and the movie slowly compresses them, let's say over the first 30 to 35 minutes, maybe a little longer, but I think probably 30 to 35, maybe a little shorter, but I, I think probably 30 to 35 minutes. Compresses them into one location, a truck stop, mm-hmm. where they are encircled by big rigs mm-hmm. and... You know, the guy who runs the truck stop is kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. There's a, a drifter lady who seems kind of cool. There's, you know, or at least that's what the movie's presenting. There's sure. Emilio Estevez who uh, is out on parole. You know, it's setting up these interpersonal dynamics and it traps them in one location. It sets up a siege movie, basically, right? Around, yeah. again, let's say 35 minutes or so, that becomes clear that that's what we're dealing with. And then just nothing happens. There's yeah. no. I love uh, if 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 I can if I can wax on this problem for a second. I love a siege movie. It's one of my favorite sort of types of horror movies. When it's done well, mm-hmm. types of thrillers. Um, uh, long, long time listeners, the, the the real old heads might remember us talking about Green Room back in the very first. Damn, yeah. I don't know if there's anybody listening done. to this that heard that, but yeah, maybe. Um, maybe I love a siege movie. I, I like. I love that structure. I, I like yeah. when you play with it, when you invert it, when you whatever. I, I'm just a big fan, and to 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 have that sort of sing, the thing you need more than anything is just constant momentum right like narrative momentum because you don't have 
any other kind of momentum. You're trapping everyone in the same location. They're not going anywhere. You're never going to fundamentally like break out of that, right? If you're if you're doing a siege movie, you're mm-hmm. stuck there. And so what you need is constant other pieces of momentum happening. You need constant give and take of like ground, quite literally. Like Green Room does a great job of that where they go in and out of the room and they're constantly like you know, being driven from one place to another and making these big swings to move in and out. You need both sides being active. You need both the people who are being trapped in one location making bold moves in an attempt to fix that, as well as the people on the outside making bold moves in an attempt to fix that. You need interpersonal stakes that are changing. Um, and you need, um, I, th- I think truly, to like make it work, you need to be like even more than a normal horror movie willing to drop bodies and injuries and like really have big things happen in your story to the characters and just fucking nothing happens in this movie. Like they're just there for forever. Almost no one even dies. Like, like what? Like two people die once they're in the siege. Like it's nothing. And the trucks just sort of circle them endlessly. And eventually they do one thing that gets them out. And then the movie's over. Yeah, it's pretty last minute. It's the climax of this movie. Apparently, yeah. there was a whole uh, unfinished scene after that. After that, fun fact. Does that make sense? Because there's a, a title card that ends the movie that just says everything got sorted out. Yeah, uh, it turns out that the the comet was an alien satellite, and then some Russians nuked it, and it's all fine now. Everything's yeah, but it, it did, don't they say in, in the middle of the movie it's like a an advanced probe or something for an alien force mm-hmm. that is still out there, kind of thing? So. You know, they're they're still probably kind of kind of boned. I think it's because of climate change or something. They're kind of trying to murder people off pretty pretty early for that. So or pollution, I guess they didn't quite have that. You know, yeah, they said pollution, climate change yeah, yeah. angle. People are just littering too much, mm-hmm. ruining the ozone. All those layer. big rigs making the air stinky. <laughs> That's right. Um, the, the the aliens shouldn't con- take control of trucks and use all that gas. Then they're making it worse. I mean, a great um, but, point. But remember, yeah, isn't there like there's wh- just like a ten minute fucking montage of them gassing trucks? By the way, you remember that? I, I, I guess that's because that's in the short story. Like the short story mm-hmm. is just about trucks, mm-hmm. and they it, it ends with them sort of the trucks taking over the world, and then humans being forced to to well spoilers. N- nobody's going to want to read that short story. I don't think anybody cares to. Uh, humans just become you know, slaves who, who pump gas for the cars and, like, start building more cars and stuff like that. That's basically all the short story is. It's just cars. But then he, he sort of half-heartedly broadens it to technology, sort of, except not really. And and the, the, the bits where he brings it in the most have the most heat, just because there's more variety that lets you do more goofy sort of fun stuff. And then, he, yeah, it's just, like, so dropped. It's dropped completely by the halfway point, basically. It should just be more arbitrary and sort of mischievous, like a poltergeist mm-hmm. possessing yeah. different electronics. You know, it shouldn't be like an apocalypse thing because it's so confined anyway. There's, it doesn't really feel like there's these sort of global stakes mm-hmm. or any stakes really. So I don't know. Um, you mentioned the ACDC soundtrack before. The album "Who Made Who" was originally like a. It was marketed as a, as a best who? of or a comp at the time it was released, mm-hmm. but it was also marketed as the soundtrack to this movie. Yeah. Apparently, Stephen King um, uh, met with them and sang the entirety of Ain't No Fun to ACDC 
Damn. Like, just sat there, sang the entire song front to back, which was what convinced them to agree to soundtrack this. Just a weird little detail. <laughs> just a big fan. Um, and makes sense. Yeah, this is you know, but perhaps it's indicative of something we have to talk about when talking about this movie, which is Stephen King's uh, state, his his state of being around this time. Hell yeah. Which was coked to the fucking gills 24-7. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I read a quote from, my, I think, a gaffer, who I, might, who I might bring up a little later, who um, said that like he didn't personally see, see Stephen King doing coke on set or whatever, but that on top of the coke that Stephen King has said he was doing on set, because Stephen King has said he was coked to the gills on the set of this movie, mm-hmm. that he would just get to set at like 6 a.m. or whatever and immediately crack a beer and just drink beer until <laughs> until rap. That's kind of um, badass. Hey, hey, he sounds fun to work with, except for some of the stuff that we will also talk about. But I, re- yeah. I think I, I read you when we were watching it, that anecdote I found about him hosting like, movie screenings for this for the crew where he'd like do live commentaries over godzilla and night of the living dead in a movie theater and buy everyone snacks that sounds kind of <laughs> yeah. fun apparently yeah. they, they would do like uh, uh races and golf carts and shit between takes sounds like, a, sounds like a good time yeah. now you know he did also partially blind and r- potentially ruin the career of the cinematographer on the set of this movie yeah for a dumb shot you can barely see <laughs> for a uh yeah like what two seconds it's like shot? two seconds it's two like seconds. literally it's a shot yeah. of a lawnmower they can't see the blade in the shot but stephen king insisted despite apparently multiple people asking him to remove the blades of the lawnmower he insisted that they had to stay and it chipped a piece of wood which flew out and blinded the cinematographer who sued sued them for millions because it was like i don't have death perception now like i'm never gonna get real work again yeah gonna jesus have to make i maximum hope he's doing overdrives right. the rest yeah. of my life <laughs> direct to uh, dvd sequels they settled they settled he got some money yeah but um everything about this cruise production is wild like dino de laurentius uh produced it um which put stephen king in contact with david lynch who was shooting blue, like blue velvet like next door basically at the time um stephen king also talked to uh romero george romero a lot during the production of this for like tips and stuff but um some people have, have claimed that sections might be sort of ghost directed by romero um i'd heard someone with less evidence speculate that lynch had directed a portion of this because there was a scene that was so lynchy and like that was cap what the fuck were they talking well, about? Yeah, well, I, I just realized that just now. We we had sort of been anticipating that. Well, is there anything Lynchian in this movie? No. No. <laughs> I literally couldn't possibly fathom what that could be. It's all very... It's sort of goofy at the start, and then it's incredibly dry and, and incredibly sort of workmanlike. He, he doesn't really have a good eye or you know a good take on the material at all. It should have kept goofy. But everything about this production was, yeah, like a mess. Um, the cinematographer... Uh, Arnando Nanucci uh, didn't speak mm-hmm. English. Um, they mistakenly assumed their Canadian gaffer could translate for him, which he couldn't. <laughs> um, Stephen King like arrived to set so disheveled the first day that people didn't think he was Stephen King, which is pretty good. Jesus. Um, but uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, apparently, yeah, Nanucci would just like 
just say yes, yes, yes anytime anyone asks him anything because he had no idea what the fuck was going on. Um, and a uh, bunch of weird production stuff. Like um, Stephen King apparently became very disheartened with Emilio Estevez. Maybe we'll talk about Emilio. We'll use this mm-hmm. as a segue. But um, he was did not want Emilio in that main role and, and uh, became very upset. Like kind of spitting. Yeah, he's not especially good in this movie. I wouldn't say. What do you? No. What did you think of Emilio? No, yeah, he's son he, Emilio Estevez. Not the worst performance in this movie, but certainly not a, a standout. No. I, I can't think of any, you know, real no blockbuster performance on, in, in this old puppy. Most most of the good stuff is like visual gags, like we've been mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah, it needs There's some nothing more character actor heat for real. Need some more characters mm-hmm. on the paper. Mm-hmm. Like well, that is the problem. Is Emilio's not given much to do. He basically seems to just be be told to smolder, and you you know <laughs> that you know that Stephen's not giving him good directions. Like, yeah, he, he's smoldering, and then he's getting a bunch of poop from the sewer on his does, white like, shirt. Yeah, fall into liquid shit at one point, and like <laughs> just like never changes, and characters hug him and stuff. It was really is that after he out. he bones that lady or before? He gets uh, the shit out of him. <laughs> After. Okay. I was going to say, that would be a funny bit if it just went unacknowledged. He, like, swallows it. There's, like, a whole gag about him swallowing it. Maybe it's his kink. Um, Laurentius and Estevez over Stephen King's choice, by the way, who was, speaking of Stephen King's taste in music, Bruce Springsteen, which would have been a weird Ooh. energy. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been an incredible energy. 80s Bruce. Yeah. Has he been in much acting stuff? Not that Has I know. Has he done the acting? Not that I know. Yeah, I can't even think. He he must have at some point. I feel like somebody must have used him at some point over the decades, even for like a play or something. I bet. I bet you. But uh, pretty weird. Regardless, I think it'd be good shit. They should have just got the whole E Street band to to play the main cast. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't have been worse, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it really couldn't. At have least been worse. would have would have been interesting. They could have played a performance at the end. You know, we could have played on stage. Mm-hmm, the very eighties. With ACDC. Should have, should have gone for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Probably big fans of each other. <laughs> uh, United by Stephen King. They would have made a collab album in this in this timeline. Damn. Um, Stephen <laughs> King did... Some good did come out of this production, speaking of, of Stephen King making media happen. It's not, not my smoothest segue, but... Um, I liked it. It's the, the only reason Evil Dead 2 exists is because of this movie. Really? Stephen King really loved the Evil Dead knew they couldn't get funding and brought it up to Dino, to Dino Laurentius. Um which is pretty cool. Uh that's a that's something that you know, to Stephen King's credit, he's out here tweeting about Terrifier too. Like he's he keeps a apprised a of the goings on in his genre, you know? Which I think yeah, is cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he um, he he does love to bestow the the book quote too and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I think he likes you know. to keep his keep his finger on the pulse, you know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what he does with that information, but he like he's <laughs> out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. so that's kind of cool. Uh, Laurentius seems to have mainly been a negative force in this movie. There's anecdotes about him like seeing the way female characters were dressed in dailies and insisting that they be changed into something more revealing in a later scene and things like that. <laughs> that's I, pretty eighties. I suppose. You know, King not knowing what he was doing, it probably empowered him to be like especially hands on or whatever. Mm. But uh, pretty, pretty sounds like a pretty weird vibe. I gotta say, 
Uh, yeah, it's a strange movie. I don't know if there was any any final say kind of dude. You know, Stephen mm-hmm. King seems out of commission. It, it feels like there's probably just no no captain on deck, really. Nobody. It's to... so it's so funny too that Stephen King wanted to do this because like he was so unhappy with all the Stephen King adaptations, right? Yeah, he famously hates The Shining or whatever, mm-hmm. all these things, and so it was like, well, you know, you want a job done right, you got to do it yourself. Yeah. I, I, that's interesting that he he hated the shining adaptation loves the evil dead i wonder if he's he just feels the adaptation this miss a kind of camp tone he feels like is present in his work or something like that maybe i, don't know. I know he's specifically called out things like jack nicholson's casting um oh. i i think that you know I've i've read the book i've seen the movie many times and i think that they're very they're very different works you know kubrick changes a lot and has a very different perspective on what's going on i think with the characters in the shining or stephen stephen king obviously it's very cut and dry in that book you know this is it's a story about alcoholism and addiction obviously something important to stephen king um, yeah and to to me the the kubrick version is much more interested in more abstract notions of cyclical cyclical sort of um intergenerational abuse both on a on a small like a micro and macro level Mm -hmm. um and it it, it's disinterested in a lot of the the what's the word i'm looking for um melodramatics let's say the character the personal melodramatics that is honestly makes up like a lot of the Shining. It does lose some of the good scares in the book, but those are all things that I think could not translate visually either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that, you know, I just don't think their sensibilities line up at all, right? I mean, the, one of the famous Shining anecdotes is Kubrick calling Stephen King at like 2 a.m., right? And saying, Stephen, do you believe in God? And Stephen says yes, and Kubrick just says, hmm, I thought so, and hangs up. i just think they have very different processes and ideas about what a good horror movie or art in general would look like you know yeah yeah sometimes they're just incompatible it's interesting that king didn't like like you know he seems to have sort of had a negative idea of all his the adaptations of his works up until this point and um at least i would say like i think it's to stephen king's credit that he doesn't like He's not out here being like, I, you know, people really miss something with maximum overdrive. He shit talks it as much as anyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what you got to do sometimes, unless you really, really believe in it. Mm-hmm. I think you guys got to own your fuck ups. I mean, he was so coked up, it wasn't even really him. It could be mm-hmm. argued. So you might as well own your fuck up there. Yeah. He, he, he said both that he would try directing against Sober and that he would never direct another movie because, quote, just watch Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> he should do it. He should do a 2022-er. Do it like a Blumhouse movie. I think he should do... You pitched this while we were watching, and I think this is the, the perfect thing. Is that he Did I? Host, I don't remember pitching He anything. should host and then occasionally oh, yeah. direct at like an anthology show, like a limited right, anthology right, right. show. Like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. He could get his feet wet, maybe co-directing even a, an episode or two before he did something Yeah, a little big. Netflix thing. Yeah. Eight episodes. That would be incredible. Um, that yeah. would work, you know? He'd probably you know curate some interesting talent it could be something what what um, if what if him and and todd mcfarlane co-hosted an anthology show they both ooh. sat at opposite ends of a big table a big long sort of medieval feast table and just and pontificated about philosophy 
in a sort of pessimistic manner at each other. I think that that'd would be, be something. Great. I think it'd be a masterpiece. Yeah, uh, I think so. Vote in the comments below that that I'm not sure exist whether or not you think that would be a masterpiece. <laughs> I, I there's so much about this movie, yeah, that just sounds like it was never going to be a cohesive. Like they they yeah, it was nearly fun. doubled their production time because the ro- the the remote controlled cars kept breaking down and like just everything. <laughs> Yeah, it's Such everything went wrong. Exactly. I re- I realize I realize we're not even talking too much about the literal plot of the movie because there like we've said there's not really much to just, say. Just not much happens in that middle chunk like truly. No, they get they sort of get so, sort of semi surrendered to the trucks mm-hmm. at one point. And yeah. like they make an escape attempt first, I think. No, I, think? I don't think they do. Is the thing what happens is they uh, no, get yeah, the yeah. kid in. The kid joins. Yes, the yeah, night. it's not an escape attempt. Yeah, it's, it's just another an, person. Another... There's like multiple scenes of people just getting into the siege truck stop, which like don't do that. Go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they want to go there when they can see uh, there's like eight trucks encircling it. But but anyhow, so so, so yeah, most of it. The, what what would be a, an escape attempt probably in a normal siege movie? The sort of second act. Mm-hmm. escape attempt is them just getting somebody else back in then they languish there more then one of their guys like one or two of them get killed by this machine mm-hmm. gun then they get commissioned to pump gas while acdc plays i think highway yeah. to hell or something like that the, uh, the, the yeah there's like this truck with a machine gun that yeah basically makes them line up and pump gas for truly five minutes like it's a long at least montage. the whole it, song at least and then there's well, more scene afterwards it's like the end of the last temptation of Christ. It's that length. It feels that length. It's like that <laughs> this big semi coda kind of thing. One of the and weirdest then... pacing moments for sure. <laughs> and then they go back into the diner, mm-hmm. and they're back at square one. It takes uh, until the basically penultimate scene of the movie for the trucks to drive through the diner, and takes till well past the halfway point for anyone to make an attempt at an explanation as to why the trucks don't do this earlier. <laughs> yeah, um, and then like right after they drive into the diner, then they all, then they just escape and get on a boat and leave, which I guess they for some reason they they didn't want to do before. I guess because there was all that interesting character stuff they had to resolve, all that mm-hmm. psychology they had to work out amongst yeah. themselves that existed. I guess what were they even talking about during the the, the dialogue um, scenes? What mainly what, what, there's what, like some tension with the guy who runs. There is, I guess, like a gesture at some sort of class dynamics here with the guy who of? runs runs the truck stop, specifically being. Um, characterized as exploiting people on parole making them work extra hours not logging them not getting paid for them while he's also hoarding like buying and reselling weapons he's like an arms dealer that part is a huge question mark mainly is there so they can get their hands on some some rocket launchers which also like barely honestly enter into the movie like it really no, feels like a, a lazy, a r- lazy contrivance. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's the only reason why he's an arms dealer. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. much they do with that character. I mean, he he dies for his transgressions, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so does a guy who, at the very end of the movie, what does he do? He tries to steal something from a car or something like that. He like steals, no, he steals a ring, a ring off a corpse. Yeah, then, then yeah. immediately dies. <laughs> a guy who has no character <laughs> until then is immediately yeah, punished for doing that. Tell you a single other thing he does in the movie. 
No, yeah. So, so, so the the middle part of the movie beyond the gas pumping stuff is like a total void in my mind. It's essentially a black hole. I can't but remember much, anything. The, the, the gas pumping is very close to the end is the thing. Like after that, it's pretty much they make their escape attempt and they escape. It's that, it's that chunk between people getting on the di- to the to the yeah. truck stop slash diner and the gas pumping where just, yeah, like truly nothing happens eventually the kid joins there's a occasionally they they cut to him like fleeing that ill-fated lawnmower very early and then just never cut to him again for like 20 minutes it's wild um and eventually he sort of turns up that's i guess the main thing he they find the guns early and then don't do anything with that um Mm -hmm. the married couple including lisa simpson who I guess is in this movie. We should probably mention that. <laughs> yeah, um, she is as a cartoon. It's like mm-hmm. this you framed Robert, Roger Rabbit kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. dies brutally. It's it's bizarre. I think she makes it, doesn't she? Make no, it? I was I was just making a little. I'm little trying to That's the thing. No Lisa one Simpson. dies. There's this huge sprawling cast, which you'd think would be so they could pick people off, and just like nothing happens. It's wild. No, there's like two guys who got get shot at once, and then kind of mm-hmm. you know, and then and they're nothing. like forgettable guys. Yeah, like. You gotta kill some people, Stephen King. Come on, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta kill some people. You, this, you, yeah, you uh, must do that in those books of his. This movie sure. did lead to a um, a um, anecdote I love, which is I, I read this to you on while we were watching, and I'm gonna read it now. This is Stephen King writing here. I'm quoting Stephen King all the way through here. Uh, so I said, "This is no. This is you know about some issue they were having filming." Couldn't figure out a shot. So I said, this is no problem. We will simply take the camera around to the other side and shoot the transmission from there. Total silence. Everybody looked at everybody else. You know what's happening here, right? I'd crossed the axis. It was like farting at the dinner party. Nobody wanted to say you've made a terrible mistake. I didn't get this job because I could direct or because I had any background in film. I got it because I was Stephen King. So finally, cameraman... D- Danielle Nanucci told me I'd crossed the 180 degree axis and it, that this simply wasn't done. And although I didn't understand what it was, I grasped the idea that it was breaking a rule. Later on, I called George Romero up on the phone and I said, what is this axis shit? And he laughed his head off and explained <laughs> it. And I said, can you break it, the rule? He said, it's better not to, but if you have to, you can. If you look at the battleship Potemkin, Stephen King aside, which I never have. It crosses the axis all the time, and the guy, Sergei Eisenstein, gets away with it. Then I saw David Lynch, again, who's just like next door through all of this, and asked him, what's this about crossing the axis? And he burst out laughing and said, Stephen, you can do anything. You're the director. Then he paused and said, but it doesn't cut together. <laughs> yeah, I did love that. That's a, that's a pretty, it's a pretty great I can't. I can't believe you, you, even I, a famous actor can of, get like, a job. Of disheveled, coked up Stephen King, being like, "Explain the axis to me <laughs> to these directors." <laughs> it's incredible. Yes, I, yeah, it's very Seinfeld-esque. I'm looking here at the reception section on Wikipedia, and this quote is so savage that I, while I'm doing dramatic readings, Paul Atasio of the Washington Post wrote that the film is like, quote, is like sitting alongside a thir- three-year-old as he skids his Tonka truck across the living room floor and says, we, except somewhat on a grander scale, and added that as a director, Stephen King, quote, proves that he hasn't gotten an ounce of visual style, the vaguest idea of how to direct actors, or the sense that God gave a grapefruit. <laughs> 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 
Poor Stephen King. He doesn't deserve this. I mean, calling him dumber than a grapefruit is pretty brutal, I gotta say, but... (laughs) He doesn't seem like the smartest fella, no offense. I hope he never listens to this, but... uh, I hope he does. Stephen King, come on the podcast challenge. You can pick our next movie. (laughs) If somebody who knows him can get get this to him, then then by all means. uh, I think there's some charm there in the first 20 minutes of Maximum Overdrive, Stephen King. I think he could have done something in a a better world. Is he a podcast, Ted? Better collaborators? I don't know. I don't know. Somehow I doubt it. How yeah, would you yeah. fit in podcasts when the main thing you do every day is write 4,000 words or whatever? <laughs> Maybe he writes the podcast. Oh, my he's God. Still That'd be so fucked up. Yeah, he's like, I just wrote a, a an entire 400-word story about an alcoholic author in Maine while well, I was on this to podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Um. I feel like we're winding down probably on mm-hmm. some overdrive. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yes, I want to wind God. away from this. I want to wind out of this movie's orbit forever. So yeah, now I'm going to hit you with the classic questions I ask at the end of every episode. Don't go back and confirm that if you're just joining us now. Uh, which is, first of all, yeah, rank the movies we've watched. Where'd you put this? Temptation Carter this. Damn. I'd go Temptation this, Carter. I'd rather watch this again than Carter. Ooh. I don't think Carter has aliens. This has a guy getting brained to death with a can. That's about as but... much joy as I would get from the alien. <laughs> and John Carter was over two hours. My, this one is 90 minutes. I don't know if it and should be about, about what I... Equally I'm... as boring to me, so... I don't know if I'd be, I'd rank them by rewatch, you know, if I'd be willing to rewatch. Like, I, I wouldn't be mm. willing to rewatch any of this shit. Just on first watch, I'd easy, <laughs> I'd put Carter over. This was really boring. Um, and yeah, I, I think another, another classic question, the, mm-hmm. the classic question we ask at the end of every episode Have we gone too far? Is it time to go back? <laughs> no, deeper into the abyss. No, we gotta we, get, we wanna go we deeper. Get weirder. We gotta yeah. go weirder. We're gonna go a little further down this particular rabbit hole. I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Want to go real deep? Ooh, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's too bad we can't jump off Stephen King director. You know, Stephen King, make another movie just for us. We'll we'll cover yeah. it. Can you imagine if you re- a new twenty twenty two movie just for a podcast? <laughs> what if he just announces he's making Maximum Overdrive two or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would be pretty good max and, and it's just set you know 40 years from the original there's a new truck invasion but this time people are on their damn smartphones too much playing farmville <laughs> they're on they're on their facebooks yeah, too much yeah hell yeah be about social media i bet about I phones mean, it, it should be yeah what if phones Stephen King's people be on their damn phones. Maximum Overdrive 2 people be on their damn phones. I think he has a has a book about cell phones, but it was made in like the late 2000s, so it's like flip phones. <laughs> I mean, that he's, sounds he's, rad. He's got to do a smartphone thing, mm-hmm. I think. You know, social media thing. Man, the editor of this movie also edited The Exorcist. <laughs> Damn. Pretty, pretty, pretty wild. They, they tried their best. They tried their best. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I was I was onto something when I when I said I thought that opening had some like editing rhythm or whatever. They were mm-hmm. trying. Also, mm-hmm. Sophie's Choice, classic. Oh, there. Oh, I was gonna say, oh, there is a credited composer, but it, it is is just Malcolm Mitchell Young of ACDC. Jesus. <laughs> I was like, I just look at credits in case anything you know spoke to us. 
costumes. Let's let's do this. We don't have to follow this. Is there any part of Maximum Overdrive, any craft or actor that we thought was good, just plain good? Uh, no. What about you? I guess the effects were okay. Sure. Only one, wow, the credit here for visual effects on Letterboxd. Only one other movie. Uh, a, a cult hit of the eighties <laughs> with a yeah. recent, a recent sequel, Race? a recent legacy sequel. Recent one, legacy. One of sequel. its stars has had a real, um, you know, renaissance the last ten years. Uh, that would. The, this is of course. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, I do. I do B and T. A little bit of a B and T. Yeah, I hadn't watched any of them until the the legacy sequel. Um, Damn. And I had a good time. Yeah, it's I. Right. Yeah, it's been a while for me though. I'm looking at I'm looking at Pat Hingle, the guy who plays Bubba's credits. Quick and the Dead. That's a fun movie. Hell um, yeah! Shoutouts to a better movie, The Quick and the Dead. <laughs> Speaking of speaking Shout of the Evil Dead, that's movie. a yeah. that's a Raimi joint that is just like an endless parade of gunfights. What if Damn. what if Sam Raimi just had some fun directing a bunch of gunfights? The movie, it's good. He does like doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's there's like one gunfight that's entirely Hitchcock zooms or whatever. Like he's just like, what if I did X thing for this gunfight? It kind of goes, oh, yeah. but uh, unfortunately, Maximum Overdrive. It doesn't kind of go much like the cars in this movie. It just kind of goes in a circle for most no, of the runtime. No, kind of stalls. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, it, it, interesting. Oh, I I forgot. I forgot our our third and most important question. Do you think this has anything to do with John Carter? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I they're think, both movies. I mean, you are spitting, and truly, I should have thought of that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm gonna guess. You know, unlike. Last Temptation, where I could squint and imagine someone on the set of John Car- Char- Carter bringing it up or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. think that you, you, anyone's connecting any dots, particularly from Maximum Overdrive to to this, unless you know Skip Leavesy himself was out here with some learned knowledge or something. Maybe he learned something about I don't know the sound of vehicles. <laughs> I can't. There's no connection. Where, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's okay. There are a bunch of car crashes, I guess. That's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. This let's, movie, it's let's good. Tr- let's get in a, our own personal big rig and drive the fuck away from this movie. Let's say goodbye to Maximum Overdrive. Hell yeah. Peace. Uh, peace. <laughs>